probably enjoyed it, I can imagine. Uh, today, we're going to build a huge wall. A huge, huge, huge wall. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. Sarah dared me to do it, I did it, so it's okay. <laughs> As I mentioned earlier, today we're going to be continuing our series in Nehemiah, looking at the idea of being kingdom builders. Nehemiah is a wonderful story. It really, really is. It's filled with twists, it's filled with visionary leadership. But also, as we're going to touch on today, a little bit of heartbreak and letdown. Not to give any spoilers for the rest of the series, uh, but we'll see from his story that being builders of God's kingdom is so vitally important that we would build for the glory of the Lord. Uh, Today we have reached the point in the story where they have rebuilt the wall already and they're talking about how it was done. So we're getting glimpses of how it was done. And as we look to the story and to the surrounding context, we will actually really learn the place that Nehemiah holds in our Bible. It's not simply just a story of a wall being built. There's a bit more to it. See, Nehemiah shows us the immeasurable importance of building for the glory of the Lord. And my hope is that I would encourage each and every single one of you to ask yourself every morning, how will I build God's kingdom today? And with that effort, I might need some prayer for that. So let me pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much that this is something that we, what we're going to cover today is something that we can read and that we can be refreshed from. But a story like this also invites us into the very Bible itself. It invites us to build your kingdom. Just as as there have been builders in the past, we too are builders now. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would speak through me. I pray, God, that it would be your words and definitely not mine. I pray, God, in all things that we hear from you. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to do a little bit of context today uh, to get a surrounding understanding of what's going on for when the wall's being built. You see, it's very, very, very easy to kind of get swept up in the story of Nehemiah and to miss some of the warnings, maybe some of the failings and some of the wrongful attitudes in this book. And that's why context is so important. You see, the big take-home from Nehemiah isn't just Nehemiah's visionary leadership or the fact that nations came together to rebuild the war. No, the take-home from Nehemiah is that no matter how great your leader is, no matter how great the wall is, no matter what you do, if you don't do what you do with the right heart, it will not stand. That is the place of Nehemiah in our Bibles. Let me explain. You see... Nehemiah is very, very, very closely related to the book of Ezra. And if you look in your Bibles, it's the book just before it. Uh, Many scholars believe that they had the same author, that perhaps Nehemiah wrote both and Ezra took some credit. Perhaps Ezra and Nehemiah worked together and wrote the books. Or maybe it was Ezra, Ezra that helped Nehemiah write the books. Something like that. But they were supposed to be one book, not two. And so... To understand this, we're going to have to understand Ezra. So, I'm going to fly through this. 
So please keep hands and feet inside the vehicle at all times and hold on tight. Um, Ezra begins with the story of Zerubbabel from chapters 1 to 6 in Ezra. In short, Zerubbabel led Israelites back to Jerusalem after the Babylonians came in and exiled them for 50 years. The Babylonians said, go away, Israel. They left their land, went to be in Babylon. Um, Daniel and Lion's Den, all that happened. 50 years later, the king of Persia sends Zerubbabel back to Jerusalem. And this is amazing. The promises have been fulfilled. We're going back to the promised land. Everything's going to be great again. So it would seem. What ends up happening is Zerubbabel takes people back to Jerusalem. They rebuild the temple. They start doing their customs again, but when it comes time for the community to come together, Zerubbabel goes a little bit nutty, and we see that God's presence isn't in the temple. The elders of Jerusalem weep and mourn, for they know that God's presence isn't with them again, and Zerubbabel kicks a whole heap of people out. So what looked like prophecy fulfilled... What looked like was going to be this amazing return after exile ends up being a pretty big disappointment. The next story in Ezra is then the story of Ezra. Again, Ezra was living in Persia. So the Persians then came and took over the Babylonians. Now Ezra's with the the Persians. And the king of Persia sends Ezra back to Jerusalem after hearing of what's happening there. And he says to him, go teach your people about your old ways. Teach them about the Torah. Teach them about your God. They've rebuilt the temple. Things are happening, but it's a bit different. You go and do that. So Ezra does that. He takes a team of people with him and they go to Jerusalem. He's going to rebuild their culture. But what ends up happening is rather than doing that, Ezra gets misled by some religious leaders and he starts doing some things that he just shouldn't, encourages all these people just to get divorced and to to leave people and to just abandon people. And what looked like was going to be finally the amazing return of Israel, its culture and the people of God, again, ends up being another huge disappointment. So now we turn to Nehemiah. Are we expecting it to be wall-built? Yay! No. Good. Awesome. You see, I don't, want to ins- I don't want to spoil the entire story because Joel is going to speak on it. We did talk about this and I don't want to steal his thunder. Nor do I want to put a damper on Nehemiah's leadership. He was an amazing, amazing leader. The builders that they built the wall did amazing, amazing work. Don't hear anything against that. But as we dive into our text, we must remember two things. It's a wall that they're building. It's not a metaphor for church. It's not a metaphor for Christian life. They built a wall. Number two, the lessons that come from Nehemiah will come from Nehemiah's leadership and they will come from the hearts and the attitudes that the Israelites had in building the wall, in building what they were called to build. As I said, we won't learn anything from a wall, 
but we will from the people who built it and what they did and then the hearts that they had, both good and bad. And so to frame this whole sermon, I want to ask the question, how was the war built? I'm going to answer that question for us this morning and hopefully there'll be something in there for us. You see, firstly, the war was built by Nehemiah's visionary leadership that united them to build. Our text today said it beautifully. and I love this text because it says it so clearly. Above the horse gate, the priest made repairs in front of, in front of his own house. Next to them, Zadok, son of Amur, made repairs opposite his house. Next to him, Shemaiah, son of Shechaniah, the guard at the east gate, made repairs. Next to him, Haniah, son of Shelemiah, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zalf, repaired another section. Next to them, Meshalem, son of Barakai, and it goes on and it goes on. Next to them, next to them, next to them. Nehemiah was able to unite the people to build the same thing next to one another. That's why I wanted to read that passage today, just to see how clearly that he led them. That was one too early. Um, It was amazing the way that Nehemiah was able to rally the people together to build this wall. So commentators have no doubt and no trouble agreeing that he was an amazing leader. And so, to learn from him and to get really, really practical, I have six key lessons from Nehemiah's leadership. How much of a youth pastor do I sound like right now? Number one, Nehemiah had vision. Vision, I find, is so, so, so important. You see, vision like me, for me is like a car trip. You're going on a holiday, okay? When I was oh, probably, I think, 8 to about 15, our family used to go to Yamba all the time. It was our place to go on holidays. Anyone ever been to Yamba? Anyone been to the Blue Dolphin? Yes, lovely place. It was a five-hour drive, if I'm remembering correctly. I have no idea if I'm honest. It just felt like forever. Um, six hours? Six hours. Solid drive. And what would happen is we'd all get in the car. We would have the really old-school laptop that would play movies for the kids, so we were entertained. Okay? And we're in the car. We're on our trip. We're going. We're going along. Dad's driving. I used to sit in the right seat, middle, back. That's where I was. And so, for me, vision is like a car trip. The vision that we have is where we're going. It's Yamba. It's the Blue Dolphin. It's the yabby pumping we're going to do so we can go fishing. It's the cricket in the middle of the caravan park. That's our vision. It's what we're expecting to do when we reach the destination. You see, Nehemiah had this. Nehemiah had this sense from God that he was going to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and nothing or no one was ever going to stop that. You see, vision enables you to see where you are going, why you are going, and if you've done it correctly, and how you will get there. In your lives, as we lead ourselves, let us learn from Nehemiah and have vision for ourselves. If I ask the question for you, to you this morning, how many of you have a vision for your life? How many of you have written down that vision for your life? 
How many of you take active steps towards that vision? You see, the amazing thing about vision is like a holiday. You get to the holiday, you enjoy the holiday, then you go back and you have another vision of where you're going. It is never, ever too late. You can never have too many visions for your life. So can I encourage you in that? In our church, we follow the vision that Joel has found for us. Joel is currently leading us in the vision that we would be a loving church, knowing and sharing the life-changing message of Jesus, that in everything that we would love one another. Joel has this picture that we would be such a loving church, that we would know the life-changing message of Jesus, that we would truly accept it and then share it with everyone. I wasn't here when he came up with that vision or what the process was, for, what that was like. And I'm sure he did it with each and every one of you. But can I ask you this morning, how are you personally going to make that vision a reality? How as a church can we get on board with that vision? You see, it's, it's great that Nehemiah had the vision for the wall, but he needed the builders. You see, number two is that people followed him in his leadership. Nehemiah was the kind of leader that people just followed. He inspired them, and they followed him like sheep. I don't know how many of you would be sitting back in old school Jerusalem, and this guy comes along and says, hey, I've got a job for you, we're going to build a wall. It's not exactly what I would be really excited to do. But people followed him. As Christians today, we can learn from this obedience to be leaders that follow and to follow leaders placed by God. You see, we are very, very lucky to have many, many leaders in our church here today. And we are called to follow them as they follow those who lead them. As I'm sure they then follow Joel's lead, who is following Jesus' lead, who is following the lead of our Heavenly Father. We are all called to lead and we are all called to follow. We all fo- we're all called to follow Trevor as he leads us in worship. It's not simply him singing and having a good time. He is going to a place of worship and calls us to follow him. That's how it works. We are called to follow Sarah's lead as she is being hospitable in our church to our community and neighbours. We are called to be hospitable and follow her. And follow her in the kitchen whenever she needs help. <laughs> we are called to lead ourselves. Friends, as I said before, we have, only, we have only two deacons and two vacant leadership positions in vision keeping. Can I encourage you to be people who step up and lead, to have people follow you? I believe in every single one of you. I believe that the Holy Spirit is inside of you, as I said before, that there is no one in this church who is incapable of leading. And if you are feeling called to that, I say to you again, follow the lead of the Holy Spirit on your life and step into those things. I implore you, step into the call of God on your life. Follow Him. You are built for something. You are built with a purpose. We are given gifts. We are given talents. 
and we're, and we're given passions and desires and we are called to step into them, not out of obligation, not out of a thirst for leadership, but because the life that you have has purpose from God. He made you for something and he wants you to do it. Number three, he was anointed. Leaders are anointed. And when we look at Nehemiah, we can see his anointing through his effectiveness. See, Nehemiah was called by God, as we heard a few weeks ago, to build the wall. God inspired him and anointed his leadership. Samuel anointed David to be king of Israel. I think you'll agree with me that David's rule was anointed. James warns us against leading, saying that those who lead will be judged more harshly. And there is evidence all throughout Scripture that, uh, that leadership comes with anointing. You see, not to talk to, about myself too much, but I can remember what I think was the times that I was anointed for leadership. You see, I was about 15, and I was at this camp, and we were praying, and I remember the speaker was talking about prophecy, and he was talking about the Holy Spirit. And I was sitting in the front row, and he stopped, and he said, there's someone here tonight that God's saying tonight's the night. Very vague, and no one knew what it was, but as clear as anything, I heard God say to me, tonight's tonight. And so I thought, ooh, that's me. And then the speaker said, if that's you, I want you to stand up. And I stood up, and as soon as I stood up, I felt God's presence like I never had in my life. People began to pray for me and prophesy over me. It was the most amazing experience of my life as that happened. And I feel as though God was saying then, I had no idea. I still wanted to play cricket for Australia. But I felt like he was saying to me, you know what, something's going to happen in your life. And a few years later, I was at Bible College at Hillsong College, and we were sitting in a chapel service. And it was the end of the year, and the speaker was really inspired, and he drew all these lines around the hall. And he said, I want you to go to the nearest line, and I want you to stand on one side of it. And when I say now, you're going to step on the other side of it. He said, this is your line in the sand moment. I don't know what line in the sand moment you're having, but everyone's going to have one today. It was very Hillsong, but I loved it. And so what happened was, is I went to the line and I thought, oh, well, what's going to happen now? And as I stepped over, God said, it's time for ministry. You see, I had been in the midst of burnout. I had no idea where my life was going. I didn't make it playing cricket for Australia. I was here at Hillsong doing more than I should. And Claire had been inspiring me to think about being a youth pastor. And within a month of doing that, I had a job in ministry. You see, I truly, truly believe that leaders are anointed. And I want to ask you, have you been, have you been anointed for leadership have you ever asked? Have you ever thought about it? Have you ever thought about the fact that we're all anointed with the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit dwells within each and every single one of us. 
that we are all leaders, that we are the priesthood of all believers, empowered by him. Number four, he was honoring. In the first verse of chapter three, commentators note that Nehemiah started off his record with the high priest to show honor to those who were most important. Now, whilst we don't agree with honoring people because of their position, in some ways, I think in our culture, we have lost the sense of honoring. You see, this was made super prevalent to me when I was at Hillsong College, and I was talking to a few Americans, and I insulted one of them as a joke. They took it very seriously, and all my Australian friends learnt very quickly, Australians tear each other down a lot. (laughs) We call each other bullfeds. We say, oh, well, you're a bit stupid, aren't you? (laughs) How was your day? It wasn't bad. Like, there's no, there's not a huge culture within Australia of honouring one another. Simply put, to honour those in leadership, in my opinion, is to simply recognise that God has placed them there for a reason. Those who are in leadership, God has placed them there for a reason. Nehemiah honoured people by mentioning them all by name in the book. As we read before, it was name after name. God, Nehemiah was honouring. Imagine if we as a church... We're more concerned with honouring one another in everything that we do, our leaders, our friends, our church family, than we were being concerned with our own wants and desires. If we fought to honour one another, to place each other above ourselves, I think that would change our church. Number five. He was passionately God-centered. This is the best thing about Nehemiah, in my own opinion, is that he framed everything that he did for God's glory. His main concern was the glory of God. He was so passionate that he fought for it. He taught it. He pretty much leaked it everywhere. I want you guys just to imagine for a second Nehemiah talking about the vision God gave him. For building the wall. You see, I get this picture that Nehemiah was sitting down. He was waiting to be serving food to the king. And God just gave him this vision. He heard about, he heard about Jerusalem. Oh, my heritage is in ruins. This is, this, is, this is God's city. How could it be in ruins? And he's thinking about it for a few days and he's, it, it just it makes him so sad and downcast. And God just, it just slowly but surely bubbles up this passion for it within him. You see, as Joel said a few weeks ago, from the moment that God put it on his heart to when he actually asked the king, a month went by. So he had a month, maybe of summoning up the courage to ask him, but a month of pondering this vision. So when it came to time to ask the king, he was so passionate that I'm sure the king just let him go out of that sheer anointing and passion on his life. And so then he leads back an army and people all the way to Jerusalem. He's, he's rebuilding the wall of God. The city of God will have walls again. It'll be a strong city. 
He was so, so passionate. He said, I'm going to do this for God's glory. I'm going to do it for him because he is my king. He has told me to do this. I have a job to do. And I'm going to build this wall. Who's with me? Imagine if we were that passionate about the call of God on each and every single one of our lives. Every single one of you has a call on God for your life. And it's not over yet. Every single one of you has that. Imagine if you shared the passion that Nehemiah had. But what in your life are you passionate about to see God get the glory for? What in your life could give you this much purpose? Number six, a bit different, he failed. Again, no spoilers, I'm not giving away anything. But in some ways, Nehemiah failed. The wall gets finished, it does. The wall gets built, we hear that today in our story. But something in here, in Israel, still wasn't fixed by a wall. They built their wall. But in the end, they didn't care. Whether the war was there or not, they were the same people. How sad would it be if, as a church, it was the same thing? Whether the church was here or not, if we were the same people. You see, Israel didn't comprehend anything that Jesus had done because he hadn't done it yet. Their hearts weren't fixed. They still had those corrupt hearts. Our second point for this morning is that the heart of the people defined their work. I heard this amazing quote this week. I'm going to use it a lot. So I love work. Work's fascinating. Work's great. I could sit down and watch it all day. I love it. Memorize it. Use it yourself. You see, in chapter 3, when Nehemiah is telling, telling about those who worked. He actually doesn't shy away from saying those who didn't. People actually did different degrees of work, and it's in the text. Nehemiah verse three, 3, verse 5. The next section was repaired by the men of Tokoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to work under their supervisors. Some people just stood and watched. Nehemiah let us know. <laughs> Others did more. The same men of Tekoa, in verse 27. Next to them, the men of Tekoa repaired another section from the great projecting tower to the wall of Ophel. They did double the work. It's all in there. Some people did nothing. Some people just sat and watched, and they weren't phased by what was going on. Some people saw that someone was called by God to do something and they sat and watched. Others got on board and they built two walls. One of the walls was called the Dung Gate and it's exactly what you think it is. People built that. People got in there. People got in with their hands and got messy. You see, I'm going to be honest with you all this morning. I am not one to get my hands dirty sometimes. You see... 
I actually got in a really, really, really bad habit at my home in Sydney when I was living with my parents. And all my life, actually, I developed this kind of scheme that just before dinner would end, I would leave uh, and I would go to the restroom. And then I would come out once everything was finished. And I thought no one knew. And so for years, I thought, I've got the best plan. I just leave and then I come back and, oh, it's all done. Oh, what a shame. And maybe I then just quickly, I like, put like my plate over or do something small like that and just make it look like, oh, I would have helped if I was here. I'm sorry. But I found it really easy to just, just disappear for a bit and come back when the work was all done. It wasn't until I think we were married, Claire, and... <laughs> Mum asked Claire if I still do the same thing. <laughs> and she knew the whole time that I would just disappear and come back. Sometimes we do what we can to get out of work. I don't do it now, do I, Claire? <laughs> I did the kitchen last night, I will say. You see, the wall, the same wall of Jerusalem, meant something different to each person. To some, it meant safety. To some, it was the glory of God. To some, it was simply just some work. Some cared and some didn't, and it showed. You see, we can learn from the way the war was built and to analyze different things and to attribute it to the church. But I think it's far, far more important to look at the heart to the building of what they did. Because without a doubt, Building the wall was the call of God. Building the wall was a call of God and people's hearts to what the will of God is is something we can learn from. You see, in our world, I think it's a real thing that we see work being done. We see the work of God being done and sometimes we do nothing. Sometimes we leave it up to the leaders Sometimes we leave it to those who are called into it. Sometimes we leave it to everyone else. Whether it's physical work, like picking up a mop and bucket and helping to clean the church. Uh, which, by the way, we can use some help here if you, if, you, if, you, if you want. Again, I'll wait. No? Okay. Or whether it's work in our spiritual lives whether it's work on ourselves, in our own hearts. So I'm going to ask you this morning, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? Are you doing anything to build the kingdom of God here? Church, we need builders, and we need to be builders. You see, I also want to talk briefly about self-care in building. There's a difference, and I've learned this the hard way, between feeling called to build and doing it, and doing it too much, and caring for yourself at the same time. There's a difference between working and doing the will of God in your life, whether it's some things you enjoy or some things you don't, and burning yourself out. And I want to say with complete and utter assurance that I am not calling anyone to burn themselves out. 
And I'm not calling anyone to stretch themselves more than what they should. I'm calling us that if we feel like we can add something to the kingdom of God, then we should. So finally, I want to ask the question, how, uh, how is what you are building being built? We've talked about how the wall of Jerusalem was built. So now we're going to talk about how what we are building is being built. You see, I want to note here as well that some people may be feeling like in order to be a good Christian, you need to be doing things. And that could not be further from the truth. And I don't want to come across in that way at all. But at the same time, we are called to build the kingdom of God. Friends, as we will hear in the next coming weeks, Nehemiah failed. In the end, for the builders he had, had corrupt hearts. Even those who did double building, even Nehemiah himself. They needed Jesus. They needed his forgiveness for the wall to have made a difference in their lives at all. So that their hearts that they had, so the heart that Nehemiah had, So that the hands, sorry, I apologise, the hands that they had, the work that they did, would match their hearts. See, one of my absolute favourite verses is Jeremiah 31, 33 to 34. Read with me. This, and this is God speaking, this is a covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put the law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And then I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive for I will forgive their wickedness, David's onto it, I apologise, and will remember their sins no more. You see, God says this, not when they're doing great things, not when he's super just in love with what they're doing. God says this just before the war was destroyed and they're in exile. God says this, when they were at their worst. And he doesn't just say it to them, he says it to all people. No longer will they teach their neighbour, they will simply just know the Lord. Israel had these corrupt hearts that hadn't been saved by Jesus yet, that hadn't been turned. Friends, we live in a new reality where our hearts are great We are saved and redeemed in Jesus, but our hands are not up to scratch. And in some ways it's showing. Perhaps some of you have heard a lot about the Royal Commission and things like that. And I was pondering all this, pondering all of the work that I have to do. I came to work an hour early on Friday so I could write, um, I forget what they're called, um... Uh, risk assessments. Thank you, Ash. Everyone needs an Ash. <laughs> risk assessments. Writing about what could possibly go wrong, why it would go wrong, and how it would go wrong. And I never know how in-depth they need to go. Do I need to write, Australia has a random earthquake, world opens up, kids fall in, 
probably death. That's sad. We can't really do anything. I, don't, I never know how in depth, and it, and it really frustrates me sometimes, the work that has to go into it. But I do it because we care about the safety of our kids. And I was thinking about all this stuff. I was in the youth room cleaning it up, and God said to me, you know that ripe for harvest verse? How I said to you all, the field is ripe for harvest. Talking about the world is ready to receive God, go into the world. God said to me, it's clearer than anything, it's not. He said, it's not. The church has done the wrong thing. The church has hurt people and people are now turning away from the church. The church went from being the center of society. So we think we're still irrelevant. We didn't become irrelevant. Now we're seen as dangerous. Poles in the church don't see us as just irrelevant. They see us as dangerous. That doesn't sound like a field right for harvest to me. I will say that God very quickly said to me, it is though, don't worry, it actually is, still evangelize, do those things. But he just gave me this picture. You see, the church, we need to do some rebuilding. We need to regain trust, regain faith. We need to come to the back to the most important thing, and that's building just the kingdom of God for God's glory. Like Nehemiah did, we must rebuild. See, I love this word rebuild. Nehemiah didn't just build the wall, he rebuilt it. There was a, there was a wall there. It was strong and magnificent, and parts of it were still there. And he took what was there, and he rebuilt it into something that's still there today. As a church, we need to rebuild, to take the amazing foundations laid for us. And although some things have crumbled, some things still stand taller than ever. Some things need to be rebuilt. You see, Nehemiah chapter 3 must inspire us to rebuild, to take what was old, in some cases to take what was ruined, or perhaps to take some things that have been newly put in that aren't the best, and to rebuild them. And in other things, we're called to build completely. Nehemiah rebuilt some walls, and then he made some new walls as well. You see, the most important thing that we're called to build together today, friends, is the kingdom of God. The most important thing that we need to build together is the kingdom of God. We have all been given gifts. We have all been given gifts from the Holy Spirit that we can use to build the kingdom of God. I can throw a ball with both hands Thank you, God. I will use it to build your kingdom somehow. We have all been given gifts. One day in my church growing up, I was talking with our worship pastor, and she said to me, you know, I love our church. I'm so amazed. 50% of our church serve in some kind of ministry. 50% get involved and do things. I was 14 back at the time and a bit naive, and I said... I didn't say that I thought this for the next few days. What about the other 50%? You see, I was the kind of kid 
When I was 14, I was a kids leader. I was playing drums in church. I was playing guitar in church. I was playing bass in church. Um, and I was trying to sing as well. Wasn't quite yet there with singing. I loved serving in the church. I did communion talks. I did everything that I could because I discovered the joy that it is to use the gifts given to me by God to serve the church, to serve my community, to help the community gather together and to see God's spirit. And so I thought those other 50% of people shouldn't be serving because they have to. I was sad for them. I thought, but they're missing out. They're they're missing out on, on the joy that it is to use the gifts that we've been given by God. As I grew up, I discovered I had gifts in prophecy and discernment and things like that. And the joy that I get from being able to speak God's word to people straight from him is one of the most amazing experiences that I've ever had. I encourage you, you have physical gifts. You also have spiritual gifts that you are called to explore and use and grow in. I am more than happy to pray with you to seek your spiritual gifts if that's something you haven't explored. I am more than happy to run a workshop on prophecy or whatever it is if we have prophets in the room. I'm sure there are many other leaders in our church who are willing to share their gifts that they have. We have a Thursday night once a month worship um, uh, training session where we all come together and we learn a new song and people come and learn new instruments. I think Jaden learns five new ones every time we do it. (laughs) Ask God how he has gifted you if you don't know. Every single one of you does. Ask him, how have you gifted me? What is it you want me to do? How can you bring joy to my life by serving others? And how can I build your kingdom? I never was a singer growing up. Some ways I still don't think I am, but I try my best. And I remember I was 15 and I said to God, I don't know why, but I just have this passion to sing. Help me to sing. And for years and years I did and it was terrible, but then eventually God gave me the ability to sing. I believe it's from him. Ask God for gifts. The desires of your heart God will give to you. That does not mean that whatever you desire, it'll be yours. It means if you desire it, that desire came from the Lord. As I finish up this morning, I want to ask you if that if you're not building the kingdom of God for his glory, then in the nicest way possible, what are you doing? And that's not a, what are you doing? So what can you do? What do you want to do? How can you do it? We must be kingdom builders that build up the church and each other by using our gifts and talents to build up one another for God's glory. We'll hear more about it in the coming weeks. But as I said, Nehemiah really did lead a great mission to build this wall. Chapter 3 outlines the amazing efforts done by people that they went to to build this wall. People worked so, so hard. 
I was really excited to get some images of the wall that they built this morning, but I couldn't quite find any in time. Research for yourself. It's a big wall that they built, and they did not have forklifts or anything like that. But in the end, friends, it is just a wall. And unfortunately, it did not affect the lives of those who built it. In the end, they all turned back to their old ways. In the end, they forgot the Torah, they forgot God, they forgot the way, the will that he had for them. And friends, we must never, ever be the same. With our clean and purified hearts, let us build this church. Just as I close, in my interview for here, I got the tip to ask some questions of all the people interviewing me. I think there was like a million people in the room just over here. They were all quizzing me. And I did what I could. And then at the end, I was like, all right, I've got a, I've got a couple questions for you. And I said, if the church was given a million dollars tomorrow, what would we do with the money? And a few people said, oh, we'd give it to Mission to Justice, which I love to hear. They said, we'd invest it in our community. But one person... And I'm not going to name any names unless they say I can. Sweet, Rob. <laughs> he said, I'd take the roof off this place and build everything bigger. He said, I'd take the roof off, we'd put more seats in, six sound system and everything, and we'd just build this place bigger. And everyone thought, oh, no, we're very grateful for what we have, and we are as a church. But I kind of like it. I kind of like the idea that this space won't be big enough one day. I kind of like the idea that we have to take the roof off and go up in order to fit people in who want to be a part of our community because we have vision, because we honour one another, because we build one another up in everything, because people come in and they see people using their gifts, experiencing God and his power and his goodness. The church should be described as a place where we come in, we encounter God, and we go out into the people, building one another up. Imagine that church, friends. A loving church, knowing and sharing the life-changing message of Jesus. Let's build a wall. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the way that you enable us, for the way that you empower us, for the fact that your Holy Spirit dwells in each and every single one of us. God, I thank you so much that you trust us, that you trust us to build your kingdom. And in some ways, you're not just doing it yourself, but you use us. God, I want to pray really specifically against any, any feelings of guilt or need to do more out of obligation. God, I pray that if anyone is feeling that right now, then I pray against it in your name, Jesus, because you died for both our sin and shame. But I, God, I just pray that where there, is, where there is feelings to do something, that it would be inspiration that where there is feelings to step out, that there would be an excitement, that where there's maybe perhaps feelings of, I don't want to do anything, I don't need to do anything, I can't do anything, 
that you would make it very clear that that is a lie. That every single person here is amazing, is gifted, and has purpose, and that you can move mountains through them. And God, I pray that we do. Amen. Thanks, Jack. Well, we're starting the building project next week. <laughs> Rip the roof off, do you think? <laughs> let's, um, let's conclude today singing this song about um, our great God. No, we worship a great God, so we're not, we're not doing this in our own strength, are we? You know, we're not leaders, we're not building just in our own strength. We're doing this in, in God's strength, so let's, let's worship him as we finish up.